Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Isn't it absolutely mind-boggling to see the idiosyncrasies that you have and I have, they begin to be played out in our sons and daughters. Like mother, like daughter, like parents, like, isn't it amazing? And the idea of growing up that daughter and growing up that son so that they fulfill the destiny that God intends for their lives, that's an overwhelming task. Then we have the challenge. Thou shalt teach your children. The truth is, your children want to learn. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Thou Shalt Teach Your Children, and shares important insight into raising kids who know and love Jesus. Stay with us. That encouraging message is coming up on The Winning Walk. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Thou Shalt Teach Your Children. When I mention it, I'm sure that most of us will remember that commercial a few years ago. It was a father who was sitting in the den and his young son, whom he didn't even notice, was mimicking him. The father came in and sat down and took off his shoes and little boy in the background, he took off his shoes and The father sat down and his little son behind him, he sat down just like his dad, feet propped up. And the father picked up, got the newspaper, began to read it, and the little boy looked around and saw a magazine and picked it up, and it was upside down, but he pretended to read it. (laughs) Then the father reached over in this commercial and got a pack of cigarettes and got out a cigarette and, and lighted a cigarette, began to smoke, and he hadn't even noticed his boy was around. A little guy looked at him and he walked over where his daddy was seated and looked down at the pack of cigarettes. And then the voice under the commercial said, like father, like son, think about it. Isn't it amazing how many of our children Root for the same football teams we root for. Does that surprise anybody? Isn't it absolutely mind-boggling to see the idiosyncrasies that you have and I have, they begin to be played out in our sons and daughters? Does that just surprise anyone? Does that stagger anybody? Isn't it interesting to observe that those things that irritate me when I'm interrupted, when I get angry, As I look at my sons, this is the same kind of things that irritates them. Like mother, like daughter, like parents, like, isn't it amazing? And the world in which we live, things are moving so fast and things are just whipping by us as if we're going at breakneck speed down some interstate and we can't quite see and we can't quite understand And of all times, we are called, you are called to be parents. (laughs) We say, you know, let's push the calendar back 50 years or let's leap forward 50 years. Surely there'd be a better climate. 
In fact, today, things are changing so rapidly, words and phrases that everybody here could define. We wouldn't have to look them up in the dictionary. We don't need any glossary of terms for these phrases because we could tell and we could say exactly what they mean, but evidently parents today need a new dictionary. And I read some of these words that have been redefined. It happens when you become a parent. For example, bottle feeding. You know what that means, but what it really means is an opportunity for dad to get up at 2 a.m. <laughs> Drooling, how teething babies wash their chins. Dumb waiter, one who asked if the children would care to order dessert. <laughs> Feedback, the inevitable results when the baby doesn't appreciate the strained carrots. <laughs> Full name, what you call your child when you're mad at him. Amnesia, condition that enables a woman who has gone through labor to have sex again. <laughs> Grandparents, People who think your children are wonderful even though they're not sure you're raising them right. <laughs> Independent, how we want our children to be as long as they do everything we say. Prenatal, when your life is still somewhat your own. Prepared childbirth, a contradiction in terms. <laughs> Show off. A child who is more talented than yours. This is my favorite. <laughs> Sterilize what you do to your first baby's pacifier by boiling it and to your last baby's pacifier by blowing on it. <laughs> <laughs> Temper tantrums. What you should keep to a minimum so as not to upset your kids. <laughs> Top bunk where you should never put a child wearing Superman pajamas. <laughs> Two-minute warning, when the baby's face turns red and she begins to make those familiar grunting sounds. <laughs> Who done it? None of the kids that live in your house. <laughs> so we need a new glossary of terms, a new dictionary when we become parents. And the idea of growing up that daughter and growing up that son so that they fulfill the destiny that God intends for their lives, that's an overwhelming task. And about the time your children get grown, as my three sons are now, I say, boy, I'm finished, only to realize that parenting goes on and on and to realize that your report card and my report card, it has not yet been issued until we have grandchildren. Your grandchildren become your parenting report card. Staggering, isn't it? And then we have the challenge. Thou shalt teach your children and I thought we'd begin and we'd see a successful parent. This successful parent, uh, perhaps many of you have never heard of her. 
It's a biblical character. Her name is Eunice. By the way, how many people here are named Eunice? Would you lift your hand? Anybody named Eunice? Would you lift your hand? One in the choir. Only one will admit to Eunice, stand up. I want to see what a Eunice looks like. Stand up, Eunice. Okay. We're going to give that Honda to you. Drive that thing in over there to Eunice. I, I didn't give it away. We had not a single Eunice last night in the service. Eunice, the biblical Eunice, was a great, tremendous parent. In all probability, she was a single parent. You say, well, how do you know she was such a tremendous parent? Because she had a boy named Timothy. And Timothy was a leader, a spokesman, a statesman, a man of God, a church planner, someone who was sharp and had ability. Timothy was somebody who had it all together. And his mother was Eunice. And let's look at some of the things we can perceive that Eunice did and what she did not do to build a young man like Timothy. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is writing to this same Timothy, Eunice's son, Eunice's boy, and this is what he writes. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Paul is saying, you, however, talking to Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And from childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. So Eunice was a great mother. Let's see what the content is of her teaching. What did she teach? What do great parents teach? Exactly what this says. It says that Timothy was taught the sacred writings. What do you mean by the sacred writings? What were the sacred writings? Uh, Eunice never went to a conference on parenting. Eunice had never heard of Dr. Spock or James Dobson or any of the other handbooks that parents use today. Where in the world did Eunice get the information to teach Timothy the right stuff? Guess what? She read the best book on parenting that has ever been penned. The best book. It is the book of Proverbs written by Solomon. Solomon wrote Proverbs, and you read the book of Proverbs, parents, you will see there little Satan principles, bang, 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 right over the middle of the plate that give content to anyone who wants to teach that son and teach that daughter. You say, what is a proverb? A proverb is a principle stated briefly and clearly, sometimes poetically. So a lot of parents say, you know, I don't really know what I should be teaching my children. Look at the book of Proverbs. Principles stated briefly and clearly. That's a proverb. Now, there are probably 20, 30, 40. I don't know how many are there. I have selected eight of them. Turn, if you would, to the book of Proverbs. Psalms in the middle. Take a right turn. 
Psalms, Proverbs, chapter number one, eight little pithy principles. This is the content of what I am sure Eunice must have taught her son, Timothy. Proverbs, chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What does this say? Teach your children, your kids, the fear of God. By the fear of God, I don't mean that, oh, I, I'm, I'm afraid of God. I, I, I'm, God is, is, is an awesome, is, is overpowering, is, 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 is a non-benevolent person. That's not it. Fear of God primarily is to reverence God, to worship God, to feel awe before God. I have trouble believing somebody says the fear of God when every other word is, oh, my Lord, in a funny way. Oh, my God. I hear that so much and I, my teeth grind together. When I say, oh, Lord, oh, my God, let me tell you, it's not over some little trivial thing. I am praying. We need to teach our children to reverence a holy God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, God, teach them the fear of God. You say, well, how in the world do you know that Eunice taught Timothy fear of God? Guess what the name Timothy means? Fear of God. Teach your children to worship God, to reverence God, the Almighty. That's the first thing I would say in the content of teaching. The second thing, look at verse 8. Proverbs chapter 1, hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Teach your kids obedience. It is startling to me when I hear parents say, you do this and you do not do this and you go and the children pay no attention. They pay absolutely no attention. That tells me the parents didn't pay attention to them when they were very young. If your children have trouble obeying you as they get older, let me tell you, you didn't pay enough attention to them. They're very young, and it's much more difficult now to teach obedience. Parents, we are to see that our children are obedient. Without shouting or hollering or threatening, they just simply, cleanly obey. And children should be obedient to their parents. That is vital. It's, it's a commandment with a promise. If anybody here wants longevity and your parents are still living, what you do is to honor them. You can jog 30 miles a day. You can eat all the right foods. You can do everything you can to have health and extend your lifestyle. But let me tell you something. The best thing you can do is honor your parents. The Bible says your days will be long upon the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. This isn't my word. This is God's word. And parents, the way your children honor you is from the very beginning. You teach them, you require that they be obedient to you. Obedient to you. Teach your children obedience. That's the second thing. The third thing uh, I'll just turn over my Bible here. I don't know about your Bible. Chapter number 2, verse number 16. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death. 
Teach your children to have a pure heart. Teach your children purity. Parents, wake up. Your kids don't need to be in the R-rated movies and most PG movies. If you're going to build a pure heart and a pure mind in your kid, you'd better take very firm action in these areas. Let me tell you the problem, though. Did you know in the average home in America, listen, the average home in America, you know what's in the average home? Three television sets, two VCRs, three radios, three tape players, two CD players, a video game player, and a computer in the average home. I want to remind you again of that cartoon that pictured Satan himself crawling in the cable, going into your house, smiling as he went in. It astounds me and amazes me how slothful parents are. You cannot teach your kids to have a pure heart if you aren't very, very observant by what they read, where they go, what they see, and when the media becomes kind of a get them out of the way and get them out of my hair and let them make their own decision, I can tell you your kids are in trouble in this modern age. Without exception. Teach your children to have a a pure heart. Look at the next thing, the fourth principle. It's in chapter 3 of Proverbs. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Teach your children how to handle money. Teach them about tithing in the body of Christ. Teach them how to handle their own finances. Give them a sense of responsibility. Let them have funds limited in the early years, more funds in the later years. Teach your kids how to handle money. Very important. A part of the agenda, the curriculum of parents that are successful. Look at the fifth principles in chapter 3 of Proverbs. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. What is this saying? Teach your kids to love people. A lot of us have trouble loving people. We're so critical. We're so narrow. We exploit. We talk about. We backbite. We cut down our own friends and family and brothers and sisters and anybody who happens not to be present. And we wake up and wonder why our kids really don't trust and don't love people. Teach your kids to love people. Very important principle you have to build into them from very, very early, early years. The next thing, look at the sixth principle that's involved here. It's in chapter number four. Verse 24, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious lips far from you. Teach your children to watch their language, to watch their language. How important that is in the bringing up of our children. Principle number seven, look at Proverbs chapter number six. It's teach your children to work. Look at verse nine. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond. Teach your children to work with chores, with things they're responsible for, things you make them accountable for, and you repeat, and you work in them. Teach your children to work. Principle number seven, 
Look at principle number eight, and there are many, many. It's in, all the way in chapter 13 of Proverbs, verse number 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Teach your children to select their friends. You help them early on, you bring them up. Teach your children to select their friends. The wrong friends will undermine any son, any daughter on the planet Earth. Teach them to select your friends. So what is the content of what Eunice taught Timothy? It's right here in the book of Proverbs penned by Solomon, which I think is the greatest book on parenting you'll find on the planet. And far too many of us have ever really read it and studied it. And we're parents. We're parents. This is the content of what Eunice taught Timothy. And now we've got to look at the context. What was the atmosphere of the teaching? What, what was the environment in which Timothy was taught? Go once again back to our verse there, our book in 2 Timothy chapter number 1. You see the context of the teaching. Here's the content, Proverbs. Here's the context of it. Look at chapter 1, verse 5 of 2 Timothy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure, Paul is writing, that it is with you as well, Timothy. Sincere faith. What was the context of it? There was a sincere faith. Uh, the, the faith that Eunice had, the faith that Lois, her mother, had in Jesus Christ was real. It was sincere. It was alive. It was valid. It was functioning. That is the context of the teaching. And you can be sure they used the proper methodology in that home. They were hewn in. They understood Deuteronomy chapter 6. What does Deuteronomy 6 say? How do you teach your kids? You teach them when they go to sleep. You pray, you read to them. You teach them when they wake up a scripture, a song, and, and let it be a joyful time. You teach them when they sit down to eat. You teach them when you're seated together. You teach them when you're traveling to school. You teach them in every kind of situation, every kind of environment, you teach your children. And I'll tell you something. A mother reminded me only this week, the best teaching that you impart to your children is not when you intentionally teach, it's when you teach unintentionally by decisions you make and reactions that you have in different life situations. And then we learn in that context, as I'm sure Eunice and Lois did, the methodology of the master teacher. How did Jesus teach? He used parable. He would tell a story that you'd never forget that generally had one salient point. Zoom. If you've ever had heard the story of the prodigal son, does anybody forget it? Boom! It has a salient point. He, he teaches by contrast. It was said of him of old time. This is what the Old Testament says. This I say unto you, I come not to destroy, I came to fulfill. He taught by contrast. He used object lessons. Should we pay our taxes to Rome? He said, is Anybody have any change? Oh, here's a coin. He said, whose picture's on the coin? Caesar. He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. Object lessons. 
He used metaphor. He used simile. He used puns. He even used hyperbole and humor. He saw someone criticizing someone else. He says, oh, wait a minute there, partner. Uh, I notice you have a two by four in your eye, hyperbole. You know, if you're going to criticize Sarah for that little bitty speck, that problem she's got in her eye, wouldn't it be better to take the two by four out of your eye and you could see better that little speck so you could criticize her? See how graphic that is? Parents, look around. There's a way to teach with many illustrations, not just negatively, but positively and redemptively. And Jesus taught and said, hey, you want to have fun? You want to celebrate God? He said, you go to weddings and you shout and you laugh. You go to funerals and you cry. And some people, we say, oh, we want God, but they're not happy in a wedding. They're not even happy in a funeral. They don't find God in either place. See the pictures Jesus used the way he taught. I'm sure that Eunice drew from the master teacher, Jesus Christ, as her and her mother, third generation, Timothy, grandson, report card, Timothy, begin to teach that boy, Tim. So content, there's Proverbs, context of teaching. It is the atmosphere, it is the environment of a home that's alive, that's fun, that's full of meaning and significance and laughter and teasing and humor and object lessons and comparisons all the way through it. Parents, this is the context in which you teach your children. And finally, the last thing, the character. And we see the godly character of this mother Eunice. She was sincere, it says. She had a sincere faith. The word sincere means without wax. It is a piece of furniture that is solid. There's not been a, a, a cut in that furniture. It has not been waxed over and painted over and sanded down to know there's imperfection there. It is sincere. It is without wax. It is solid. That's what her faith was. That's the reason it was valid and it took up root in the life of Tim. In other words, she lived it. She planted it. She taught it. And Timothy grew up and became a great man. A successful parent, Eunice. But let's look at an unsuccessful parent, okay? We see how to do it. And the unsuccessful parent I have selected will surprise you. His name was Solomon. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't Solomon the guy that wrote the best book ever penned on parenting, the book of Proverbs? Yeah, he wrote most of it. And you mean he is an unsuccessful parent? Absolutely. Rehoboam was a disaster. He had two sisters, the children of Solomon. They married outside the faith and their lives were lost in oblivion. Solomon, who wrote the book, well, you look at the content, that's what you look, what do you teach your children? Solomon said, this is what my children must learn. And I'm sure he said, here's my book. <laughs> Kids, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. Read my book. So here's the man who wrote the book on parenting. And his kids, all three of them were a disaster. Disaster, a tragedy. It was Eunice, Lois, 
They had little to live on, but they produced a great son in Timothy. Here is Solomon who had everything to live on, and he produced a son and two daughters that were tragic, tragic stories indeed. And Solomon wrote the book on parenting. That should shock us. He had the content, but he didn't have the context. What happened to Solomon as a dad? I'll tell you what happened. He just got busy. And Rehoboam, his son, as he looked back and reflected on life, his father, he could have accurately made this statement. My dad spent all of his life chasing everything under the sun. Sound like any fathers here? My dad spent his life chasing everything under the sun. What did Solomon chase? The Bible is very clear. I'll be quick about it. First of all, he chased wisdom, erudition, knowledge, reading, philosophy. He studied. He was a great scholar. The Bible said he was the most brilliant man ever to walk the earth. He chased wisdom. But he said, you know, wisdom, it's vanity. It doesn't fulfill Education, all the PhDs doesn't fulfill. All the novels I read, it doesn't fulfill. He said, I'm going to trace pleasure. Hedonism, he became a hedonist. He slept with all the women that he could. He went to all the circuses that he could. He played all the games that he could. He traveled all that he could. He said, oh, man, I'm going to fill this, this desire. I, I'm, he became a hedonist. But he said, you know, that made me jaded, and, and, and that's all vanity. It, it doesn't work. And then he moved out and said, well, I've tried wisdom, I've tried pleasure. Then he tried power and wealth. And they're, they're interchangeable, aren't they? And he sought the almighty dollar for gold and silver and exploitation and business and activities and grain, international trade. He sought wealth. He was chasing after the dollar. He was chasing after the gold and chasing after the silver. It was wealth and power. And he finally got through and said, that doesn't satisfy. That's all vanity. Then he says, I know what I'll do. I'll be altruistic. He got involved in benevolent enterprises. I'm going to build public housing for people. I, I'm going to help clothe people. I'm going to do a lot of benevolent activities. I'm going to get involved in a lot of charitable events. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of this, is it? Not in and of itself to be intelligent. Nothing wrong with that. Have a good time, pleasure. Nothing wrong with that. Not a thing wrong with that. Uh, to seek some security, nothing wrong with that. To help in charitable enterprises, nothing wrong with that. You know the problem with all that? It can totally fill up your life. I'm going to do good works. I'm going to be involved in, in this charitable event and this charitable event, help these people that pull there. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to get all the wisdom. And we can spend all of our life and say, boy, that's the best bridge player I've ever seen. I just throw all my life into golf. I throw all of my life into football or baseball or basketball or all my life into my vocation, all of my life into scholarship, all of my life into pleasure. And we spend all of our time chasing everything under the sun. And we wake up one day and say, if we're wise and live long enough, all is vanity. That's what Solomon was doing. On top of that, Solomon was religious. It was not the religion that he received from David, his father. With all of his sin, though, David had a heart after God and a sense of the coming of the promised one. It was not the faith that Nathan 
who discipled young Solomon had. It's not the faith that Solomon had when he built the temple and went there and worshiped and offered sacrifices to Yahweh and Jehovah and sought to pronounce the principles of God upon his life. Oh, no, he departed from that faith. He moved out from that faith. And all of a sudden, pagan gods began to come into his Israel. And all came as he began to marry, a part of the hedonism. And he had, what, 700 wives, 300 concubines? And every one of them brought their own god, their own goddesses. They built their high places on all the power up there. Oh, Solomon was religious, but now his religion was modernized. His religion basically was naturalism. Follow me carefully. What did Solomon end up believing? He believed because he was a wise man, God exists. He believed that. He believed also that God is powerful. He created the earth. He believed that. He, he believed also that God was intelligent. The earth has unity and order and symmetry to it. He believed that. And he also believed that the, the, the earth was aesthetic. It was beauty. The earth is a work of art. He believed that. But in his belief of God, it was not a God who is like a father. It was God who was a force. God was an am, not an I am. God was a God not who was good and interested in the lives of individuals and of nations and the affairs of men. God instead was simply a, a God of nature. And, and what can you get from a God of nature? And Solomon's epistemology, that is, how do you know that you know? He would say, all I know about God now I observed as a horticulturist, as a philosopher, as a hedonist. I look at nature. He said, that's what I know of God. It is natural religion. What do you get from nature? Only one thing. Nature shows us the back of God. It is the Scripture. That is the Word of God, and it is Jesus that is the faith of God. Oh, Solomon was religious, and he chased religion under the sun. But it's not a religion that made moral demands and made a difference as a dad and followed the requirements and the rudiments of Deuteronomy 16, the commandments, the sacrifice, etc., etc. It was not there. It was a naturalistic kind of a religion a New Age kind of religion in those days of antiquity. So that was the context, the context of Solomon teaching his boy Rehoboam. And you see, he was so busy chasing everything under the sun. Oh, but look at the last thing. What about the character? Solomon's character in all of this. You can be a, a new ager. You can be a naturalist and have good character. What about Solomon's character? Externally, it may have been in the cultural standards of that day, you know, pretty good. Solomon was a fine man. But what was the truth of his character? You find it in Deuteronomy chapter number 17. Three things the Bible says that an Israelite king was not to do. Three things. Multiply horses. Multiply wives and multiply wealth. Solomon broke all three of these jobs descriptions for the king of the land. He multiplied horses. You can go on the side of Megiddo in Israel today and you can see Solomon's stables, the remnants of it. 
He multiplied horses. He went down to Egypt to get horses. And that means he went back into paganism. He got another pagan environment. And the fear of God was that he would export again godlessness and idolatry to people. And that's exactly what happened. Solomon multiplied horses. Also, he multiplied wives and concubines. And he did it with a rationale saying, well, I'm going to marry this princess, and that means all of her tribe will join with Israel. I'm going to marry this princess, and that means that nation will cooperate with Israel. He began to do this as a part of his foreign policy. This was Solomon. And on top of that, he not only multiplied his wives, he multiplied his wealth. Bill Gates would be on welfare compared to the wealth of Solomon biblically. This is true. We'd put the man on welfare. Solomon, without question, was the richest man who ever lived on this earth. But in the process, he lost his legitimacy. Therefore, as his character, here is Rehoboam growing and developed, seeing his dad, a multifaceted man, a man for all seasons, a man who followed everything under the sun with brilliance and ability and leadership. He was king. He had everything. But in the process, he didn't have character as he chased everything under the sun. And Solomon, at the end of his life, is a story of tragedy. He said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Some of you may be following the same trail of Solomon. Oh, yes. You say, well, you know, my, my, my children, they, they don't know all that. Now, listen to me carefully. You can con a con. You can. You can fool a fool. Absolutely. But you can't kid a kid not when they live under your roof. Parents, content what you teach. Context, the environment, the atmosphere of the home in which you teach. Character, strange. Fathers continue to see themselves in their sons and daughters continue to see themselves in their mothers and parents somehow see themselves and their children. Think about it. Billy, having trouble at school, the principal called home and said, Billy's problem is profanity. Profanity? Oh, yeah. In the classroom, in the playground, he just utters one oath after another. He, his mouth is vulgar and you're going to have to do something about it. We're going to have to expel him from school. It's just one profane word after another, one profane word after another. You've got to do something about Billy. The mother was astounded. Billy was up in his room. The father came home. She went to the father and said, this is what the principal called and said, Billy has a foul mouth. He's always using profane words all around school and we have to do something about it. The father was absolutely mortified. He said, oh, he's ruining our family. I'll handle this. Where is Billy? Up in his room and he starts up the stairs. He said, I'll teach him. I'll teach that boy to cuss. I'll teach that boy to cuss. And he's storming up the stairs and he slips on a pencil on the stairs 
and falls and tumbles down as he's falling. It's every kind of profane word, uh, S and F and the Lord's name in vain. And he tumbles all the way down the stairs in a heap. His wife comes up and says, I think you'd better go to the kitchen. He's learned enough words for his first lesson. Like father, like son. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.